0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys.
1: It turns out the biggest impediment in implementing the lean startup is the actual DNA of founders. It's a mental mindset, which is what drives founders. Founders are passion driven. I have a vision, and gosh darn it, I'm going to go implement that vision. Please don't get any facts in the way. And so, To have founders have two thoughts in their head, which is, I passionately believe, and now I'm asking them to say, but what if you're wrong? It it sets up again a a form of cognitive dissonance that they're going, that's just confusing to me. We'll go build it and, and then we'll go figure it out later. You don't quite understand that just passion alone isn't sufficient to change the world. What you really need is passion and a strategy. Hopefully, this is a small contribution to the strategy. It's not a substitute for the passion, nor is it a way to say, slow down. It's a way to actually be thoughtful and
0: efficient. It is my great pleasure today to introduce Steve Blank. Steve is a U.S. serial entrepreneur and academic. He spent over 30 years working within the high technology industry and has founded or worked within eight startup companies, four of which have gone public. Steve also developed the customer development methodology, which is the cornerstone of the lean startup movement and is a consulting associate professor of entrepreneurship at Stanford University. Steve has published three books, including most recently, The Startup Owner's Manual. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and your involvement in the development of the ideas underlying customer development and, and, and lean thinking?
1: I was an entrepreneur for 21 years. I did eight startups uh, in a variety of industries, uh, semiconductors, supercomputers, military intelligence, enterprise software, notoriously in video games. Uh, I left a crater so deep there it has its own iridium layer when it failed, <laughs> um, and and, uh, uh, and then got a uh, Pretty lucky in the last internet bubble and uh, I decided to uh, go home and watch my children grow up and uh, when I did that I, I had some time for the first time in 20 years to reflect on um, what I had learned as an entrepreneur and uh, I started writing um, a series of lessons learned for what I thought would be a, a book and um, I realized pretty quickly that I would have to pay even my children to read it but um, in the in the middle of writing it, I, I realized that uh, something pretty vivid stood out, and that it was the when I followed the conventional wisdom, uh, my startups tended to fail. And when I ignored the conventional wisdom, uh, they tended to succeed. And the conventional wisdom in the 20th century for startups is they were nothing more than smaller versions of large companies. It's a big idea. Startups were told by their investors in Silicon Valley— and elsewhere is uh, you do everything a large company does. A large company writes a business plan, you write a business plan. A large a company writes a five-year forecast, we want to see a five-year forecast. You know, even if there wasn't a, a market to forecast, we want to see one. A large company hires you know and scales sales, marketing, biz dev, engineering, you go do that. A large company executes an engineering plan, we want you to build the product from day one. And I realized that at the core, what was going on is large companies execute known business models. But startups don't do that, actually. Most startups are searching for a business model. And we had spent 100 years building tools and strategies and tactics in business schools on how to execute. There wasn't even the set of words to describe what you're supposed to do for an early stage venture as a founder. And that's where uh, customer development came in. I actually turned my war stories about me into something more general um, called the customer development process. In the first book I wrote, The Four Steps to the Epiphany essentially became one of the cornerstones of what became the Lean Startup Movement. Right. I hope that's a long answer to some question you just asked.
0: No, no, it's an interesting journey because, as you say, it it stands in you know, marked contrast to some of the ideas that have been around for a long time, uh, unhelpful ideas by, by all accounts. What do you think is the particular failing of that way of looking at things, being a, a smaller version of a big company?
1: You know, that's a great question. Is So what's wrong with it? I mean, it works for a big company. Obviously, it should work for a startup. And, and again, the key idea is that in a large company, you've now, because you're large, you understand who your customers are, who your competitors are, what things customers will buy, what they won't buy, what price they'll buy at, you know, what distribution channels you could use. You know all these things. In a startup, all you have is a series of untested hypotheses. And if you're a founder, a passionate founder, you believe on day one they're not hypotheses. You believe you understand the customer problem And therefore, all you need to do is build the solution. And so you go about just not even thinking that what you have is just a series of guesses. You go out and you spend the time and you raise some money and you build the product. And only after you ship do you find out or or launch your your product or service, you find out, oh, my gosh, we were wrong. And, And then you have wasted that time and money. And hopefully you've had enough capital to kind of. Iterate again, but this iteration loop required, you know, lots of capital, and usually required firing somebody. Usually, you fire the VP of sales, and it doesn't work, and then we fire the VP of marketing, and then we fire the founder, um, and and that's not an unknown story yet in in that history of how we built startups. You know, build the product, assume we were right, launch, didn't work, fire sales, marketing, and founder. Never once did anybody say. Maybe we ought to be firing the plan rather than the people first. The Lean Startup says, why don't we just declare that our plan is a series of untested hypotheses, and we very quickly need to get out of the building not to execute the plan, but to test the hypotheses. And it's not that we're sitting around not building the product or service. We're actually building it, but we're building it incrementally and iteratively. Um, Does that make sense about what...
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of talk about market research. There's always been a lot of talk. But in what way is this different from what what an entrepreneur would say, well, you know, uh, we've done our market research?
1: Market research firms are great at predicting the past. Um, And if they were great at predicting the future, they'd actually be hedge funds. Um, This isn't market research. You know, the idea here is... Uh, I don't really care what someone else thinks about the size of this market. Um, the customer development process says you want to read market research, that's great. it at least give you directionally what continent you ought to be on uh, or, or generally the shape of the market. But it's only the founders who could get out of the building and do customer development. And here's why. If I hire a proxy, either a market research firm or even a VP of sales who works for me, they go out. And you tell them, go f- find out whether customers like X, Y, and Z. And, you know, they'll come back and say, you know, Steve, no one likes it. It's a, it's a bad idea. Well, you know, it's your idea, so you're going to go tell that proxy. You're just not explaining it well enough. Go back out there again. And if it's a, you know, if it's a market research firm, they'll tell you what you want and take your check. And if it's a your first VP of sales, they'll come back and go, Steve, it's really done, and you'll go, you're fired. Now, imagine that exercise where we don't allow the founders to hire any proxies. They have to go out and get customer feedback very early. It's not what a customers want. It's here's what I'm building. What do you think? Or here's the problem I, I see but I'm solving. Do you have this problem? And if all of a sudden the founders start hearing, no, we don't have that problem, or no, we're solving it a different way, we're happy with that. You know, the first couple of times, you know, they'll kind of say, you know, they just don't get it. But about the fifth or sixth time, the founder will be faced with cognitive dissonance so much that smoke will be coming out of their ears. But (laughs) it's the founders who, and only the founders who could actually listen to customer feedback and say the following. Well, that's interesting. You're the eighth person to tell me that. What if we did this? This being something only the founders can make up. Or, oh, wait a minute, I've heard you say this, this, and this. Is it possible that you really might want this? No one else could do that. And, and these changes to either features or maybe we're talking to the wrong customers or pricing are called pivots, substantive changes to one or more of the business model components. And it's only founders who have the authority to pivot. No proxy could do that.
0: I remember hearing, um, I can't quite remember the statistic, but was it maybe biotechnology companies that had gone public and how many of them were actually delivering a product that they had initially said in their business plan they were going to, and it was like a tiny proportion.
1: You know, that observation that no startup, you know, no startup business plan survives first contact with customers is an apocryphal one we've been hearing for decades. No one understood what it really meant, is that successful startups actually pivot? from their beginning to, to their successful end. And no one had it articulated, well, how do we frame that process? And it turns out this lean startup methodology is really insanely simple. It has three components. One is, you, I, I've been using this word hypothesis, and, and you know, we use it to kind of explain that every startup or, or new business or, or new social enterprise has a series of, of, of components that are kind of common. What product or service are you offering? Who are you offering it to? That is your customers. How are you going to get it to them? Is there a distribution channel? Or, or How are you going to deliver the product or service? How do you get keep and grow customers? You know, How do you get revenue? What kind of activities do you need to do to build the product and get those customers? Any resources you need? Any partners? And what are the costs? So we use this, and it's called the Business Model Canvas. It was developed by someone named Alexander Osterwalder, and we use this canvas to kind of set up all the things that we need to understand as we get out of the building. And that's the second component of Lean, which is a customer development process. That's the part I built, which basically says, listen, why don't we go out and first test whether our view of the problem is the same as anybody else's. So first we're testing problem, then we're testing solution, and then we're marching through the business model canvas. And the third piece is, while we're doing this, we're actually building our product or service incrementally and iteratively. Instead of locking people in the room and saying, give me this product a year from now, we're saying, give me pieces of it I could check and test with real-life customers. And so those three parts, business model canvas, customer development, and what's called agile engineering, make up the lean startup. It's that simple.
0: It's very logical. It, It makes a lot of sense. How, in practice... How challenging or how easy is it? what challenges do entrepreneurs have following this this approach
1: it's very, very, very funny. The biggest challenge is and then you've just said the magic words, this is a logical you know way to do this, and you kind of go got it and okay, everybody you know turn to your left and let 's now march to the speed. It turns out the biggest imp- impediment in, in implementing the lean startup is the actual dna of founders it's it's a mental mindset which is what drives founders i mean founders are passion driven you know i have a vision and gosh darn it i'm going to go implement that vision you know please don't get any facts in the way um and, and so to have founders have two thoughts in their head which is i passionately believe and now i'm asking them to say but what if you're wrong it sets up again a, a form of cognitive dissonance that they're going you know that's just that's just confusing to me we'll go build it and and then we'll go figure it out later and and i could definitely understand that i mean you, you know you're driven by a vision the sad fact though is most founders aren't visionaries they're actually hallucinating and and this process allows you to separate hallucinations from visions fairly rapidly but it really is the what the good stuff that drives founders actually is the part of the Shakespearean tragedy that sows their own seeds of destruction.
0: Right. Right. That's a a terrible tale. (laughs) Um, How do you get over that?
1: Probably the best way to get over that is if you had a board of directors who's um, or, you know, managing directors or who's ever advising you or whatever, who actually um, understands the process. And instead of asking you for, you know, Daily revenue and where are we in alpha, beta, first customer ship? Start asking you to talk about minimum viable products and customer feedback, and you know where are you in validating hypotheses? If in fact we could change the boardroom language of what's asked to founders, then this discipline would actually be embedded in, in founder DNA because you know it's the golden rule: he who has the gold makes the rules. And, and if your investors are telling you that's what they're measuring. Then you'll start measuring. It.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. Now, when it comes to social entrepreneurs, um, you know, to what extent do you think there is potential for these ideas to really help social entrepreneurs, and to what extent are they already infiltrating and beginning to have impact?
1: Oh, I think um, you know my favorite story about social entrepreneurs and lean is you know the classic. Um, Americans love to go to. Africa to help, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Well, the classic NGO in the U.S. goes to Ghana to build wells every year. And, and uh, I was uh, advising some, some NGO. I said, well, what happens after you leave? Well, we don't know. We just built the wells. And, of course, I had just ran into a study that said, uh, and I don't know if it was Ghana, but it was certainly some parts of Africa, what happens after the Americans are or the Europeans leave after they build the wells for the village, trying to feel that they did something wonderful, is the village chief fills in the well. (laughs) And I went, why were they doing that? Well, it turns out no one ever bothered to ask, but the village chief was the one who was making the money selling the villagers the water. (laughs) And the minute you made the water publicly available, um, their authority was diminished. So I I use this story for nonprofits to go, you know, if you don't quite understand and who your customer is um, you 're actually going to feel like you 're doing you know good, but you 're not you 're not really here. The case was is that you know they didn 't do any social discovery um, they really needed to understand not how to dig a hole in, in, in some dirt in ghana. They really needed to understand is what was the water ecosystem in these villages and who was making money and why and, and all of a sudden they might have done something different. they probably still. Build the well, but now they'd probably make the, the village chief in charge or do something that that, that was a, a little more productive.
0: Right. The other, yeah. prob-
1: the other problem for social entrepreneurs, and I've sat on lots of national and, and local nonprofits, is uh, never uh, quite understanding who the customer is. Sometimes you think the customer is the people you're serving, but often the customer in a social enterprise is the major customer is your donor particularly if it 's a major donor, you think you 're serving the as I said the people you 're serving, but at the end of the day, the strategy might actually more be driven by uh, uh, who 's giving you the money
0: well that is very interesting, and I have spoken recently to a, a somebody from a nonprofit and context who has become a social enterprise, a slightly painful process. But with entirely because of this, because he realized that the, the, all of the goals they were trying to achieve and the measures and so forth were being driven by what the donors were looking for, rather than what they felt were actually the needs of the, the people they were trying to help on the ground um you, you mentioned this idea of social discovery is this an idea that's established i mean that people t- talk about or is it uh are you translating the some of the lean ideas in into the social entrepreneurship environment
1: no i was just translating what i would do for social entrepreneurship you know the good news is it's not far from you know uh, social entrepreneurship is now understanding that they at least ought to have some metrics so like um, you know startups and, and businesses, but but to me, this whole discovery thing of who's the customer and and you know what we might actually have a multi sided market, meaning you know there might be multiple customers. I'll use the village well again. Is yes, we think the customers are the villagers, but it turns out one of the main customers is actually the village chief, which would not be obvious. And the product you offer the villagers, which is free water. Might not be the product you offer the village chief, and I don't know what product you would offer him. But once you discovered he was a customer, you'd have to make up a separate product for the village chief. Um, and and by the way, there might be some other players involved. You didn't bother to spend the time understanding. Um, I see this all the time in in um, in uh, NGOs and and social enterprise. Um, the other thing is, uh, of course, you know there are multiple types of uh, Social enterprises, you know, double bottom line, triple bottom line, you know, doing well by doing good, doing good by doing – I mean, there's now enough variance that, um, you know, having a business model campus actually helps you understand what is our goal here um, and who are we serving and how are we serving them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be speaking to Alex in a few weeks, so i have a chance to talk to him about that. <laughs> it's interesting the uh, – you call them customers, and it's interesting um, – because I spoke to Ian McMillan who wrote the social entrepreneurs playbook and he he talks about this as well understanding the ecosystem and understanding who the winners and losers are in a particular environment um so when you go in there you know as you say like the the chief you know, that these problems are long standing problems and the you know there's a status quo and you know just as much as there are people who are losing out there are people who are benefiting as well, and thinking about that. So you call them customers. What does that mean? I, I in in terms of going back to the example of the well, you know, I can see how the you know the people who 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 would ultimately be beneficiary and getting the water are a customer. To what extent are you know just taking the tribal chief a customer in that sense?
1: Well, he's a customer in the in the extent. I mean, he might be a, a, a you know. A, a, so for example, in here, Google, yeah, Google search. Who's the customer? Well, you would think anybody who uses Google is a customer. Yes, they're a customer, but there's someone else in that customer box, which are the payers. Well, why are they customers? Because unless you get them, Google doesn't have a business model. Who are the payers for Google? You know, are the advertisers. So unless you say advertisers are a customer, you don't understand that Google has a multi-sided market. There are users and there there are advertisers. And, the, and by the way, the products for each one of them are different. For Google, the users see Google's toolbar or Google search, but the advertisers, the payers, see something very different. Uh, they see a different product. They see um, uh, Google AdWords with a different interface and uh, the ability to buy keywords. Back to the village is, well, yes, the you know, villagers might see water coming out of the well. You know, gee, maybe the chief gets a cut for how many gallons pumped, you know, a, a week or something, where he's actually getting paid by the nonprofit for maintaining the well. And why do you have to do that? Because we now know that the wells get filled in when you leave. So therefore, you need to address him as a maintainer or a whatever. You call him whatever you want. But unless you put him on a, we have to deal with him and have a product with him, you don't have a Business in this case, the business of providing water to, to uh, villages without.
0: Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, no, no. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. How do you engage with people? Because some people are just they can't be bothered. They're just somebody coming along. We have this idea. We might want to do this. You know, it's all, it all sounds great. You know, people are busy. People have other priorities. People may not want to. You know, just listen. You know, they may not be bothered.
1: Yeah, you. You know, uh, you'd be stunned about the hit rate of people who will talk to you. Particularly if you start the conversation like this, you know, hi, I got your name from so-and-so. They said you were the smartest person in this field. I'm not trying to sell you something, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Now, you have to tell me, if somebody called you up and said that or sent you an email, don't you think you'd pay, really, I'm the smartest person in the field? Oh, really? Yeah, you. You're not trying to sell me something? Oh, yeah. And by the way, the goal is you're not trying to sell them something. Because then the conversation is, look, I'm trying to understand. The first order is, I'm, I'm trying to understand if X is a real problem. You know, if the lack of water in your village is a real problem. You know, oh yeah, you know, we have to walk a mile and a half. Well, how do you solve the problem today? Well, we, you know, we send our kids. They take the buckets and you know they walk to the river and well, great. Well, any downside to that? Well, that's why we have extra kids because the alligators get them. You know, get you know get them once a year and. Um, so you can now spend a pretty interesting conversation, just finding out about if if there's a problem, how it's solved today, and then testing potential solutions. And then you'd also find out whether they are customers or not. Um, you might find out, oh no, we have running water, well, not, not a problem, this building. Still- Makes
0: sense or not? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Also, you mentioned this that you know the heart of the problem, in a sense, is the this the the, the character of the the entrepreneur with his vision and his persistence, which which you know when it, when things go right is obviously the key to you know a very successful venture, and equally if not more so for a social entrepreneur, this persistence. Uh, you know often in in situations where much less structure you know no markets at all perhaps and uh, this determination is clearly you know a huge part of of the makeup of of I think a successful social entrepreneur that tension is is Possibly even greater <laughs> uh for a social entrepreneur so what w- what do they need to do, or what do you say to to you know you hear of and i've spoken to you know social entrepreneurs have taken years and years and years, and it's just this relentless determination and passion to solve a problem, but at the same time this question of at the back of your mind to to be questioning whether or not you know your hypothesis all the way, what advice would you give them
1: You get some great entrepreneurs who um will hear all this stuff and they'll ignore it and they'll, you know, try to start something and, you know, after they end up on their rear ends in, in a year or two, they kind of maybe are ready to listen about perhaps we ought to think this through first. Uh, and there are others who will just get lucky and, you know, get it right the first time. Um, one of the great things about being young is you're, you're passionate and you go through walls um, and you don't, um, you don't believe anything's impossible um and, and and you know i never want to discourage that i just think the combination of of using your passion efficiently is probably the best intersection of 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 passion resources and time um and so all you could do is ex- explain to them it's kind of like um you know when my daughter was 3 um i went through with her uh, what i went through with all kids is uh, you know i is trying to explain the word hot and, you know, I would say hot and she'd look at me out of the corner of her eye and hot. And I knew what was going to happen this day, so I grabbed a glass full of ice and we had a little barbecue outside. And I said, hot. And she gave me one of those side look sideway glances and stuck her finger in the flame. <laughs> and she said, ah! And I grabbed her finger through the ice and she said, hot. She now understood what hot meant. You know, when you're young and passionate, unless you've, you know, failed miserably, You don't quite understand that just passion alone isn't sufficient to change the world. What you really need is passion and a strategy. Um, And, you know, hopefully this is a small contribution to the strategy. It's not a substitute for the passion, nor is it a way to say, slow down. It's a way to be, it's a way to actually be thoughtful and efficient.
0: What about the idea of customer archetype?
1: Sure. I mean, that's part of, you know, going back to the village, right? You discover that... Oh, here's the archetype of the villager, you know. Oh, they're not going down to the river. They send their kids, okay. But, gee, you know, it's, uh, or maybe in this village, no, the, the truck comes, but it's the village chief who, oh, so now it's, there's two archetypes. There's the village chief and there's the villagers, and maybe there's the village chief's wife who's selling you the buckets for the wife. I mean, you would find out that there are multiple players in this game rather than just one. And that just takes some time and, and um, experience to kind of tease out the, you know, the social network, in this case, of who interacts. Um, and I find for most social, most social ventures, there really is an ecosystem you need to understand. And your hypothesis about, you know, who's involved is almost always incomplete on day one. Um, People are influenced by other people. There's money involved, or there's social pressures, or you didn't quite understand the problem, or the problem really wasn't the the major problem. There was some other problem. Um, you know, here eradicating polio in Pakistan. You know how hard is that? You, you know, you like get some polio vaccine, you train some workers, etc. Oops, we forgot about the Taliban. You know, duh or oh maybe we ought to be monitoring sewage systems around the world for polio viruses oops look what we just discovered in brazil active polio virus in a country with no reported cases of polio something going on who would have thought you know that was necessary as part of the eradication campaign
0: ian macmillan talks about this the idea that that you know if a traditional entrepreneurial enterprise you know a startup fails you know obviously there's a cost but if you go into a uh you know a poorer country in africa and you set up and you start to do this if you fail then there are much bigger consequences because you know there are you know uh, at many levels people who've got, got to maybe depended on you and so forth so he talks about the idea of you know that th- it just becomes a lot more important that you you test these hypotheses because you don't want to go in spend six months change things and then collapse
1: all right, and here's the big idea, which is, uh, again, as particularly well-funded NGOs, ironically, um, you know, get this wrong the worst. is You have this idea, the donor ha- has the idea, you start hiring people, and you're going to put this big program in place in Country X. Well, excuse me, did you test the idea on small scale? Oh, Steve, we just raised, you know, $10 million dollars to go implement this. Did you test the idea on a small scale? No, 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 we got the money to staff. I'm hiring people. And, you know, it's already gone then. It's, I mean, the idea, I just kind of like sigh and walk away because, you know, you've got an executive director who's, in fact, actually interested in execution before they actually tested what we call the minimum viable product. Well, instead of building the whole organization, what's the smallest thing we could test?
0: And where is this, this these ideas going now? I mean, I see you 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 work in particular domains, the health domain, and and so forth. Is it is the bedrock of the the the, the model? You know, is clearly there. Are the ideas evolving in in any particular way?
1: Well, the you know the ideas are evolving. That uh, every time I say it doesn't work for this particular segment, I'm, either I prove myself wrong or someone else does. I, I think this idea uh, of new ventures are a series of untested hypotheses that you're actually searching for is a universal truth. It just simply is. Um, There's enough data now where I never would have said it was so black and white. Ten years ago, I I would have said this is a hypothesis. We've now had thousands of teams actually do this. And it's definitely, uh, again, I wouldn't have said this a decade ago, but I think enough data is here to say it's certainly a lot more effective than let's, let's write a business plan raise some money and, and go execute and that, just, that just doesn't work I mean it, it, it works well enough that we had a venture capital and social capital community for 50 years but this one works a lot better We're uh, uh, again the idea is we can't pick winners and losers any better here but we can guarantee you'll get more shots at the goal with the same amount of cash right. and, and that's a big idea we could be incredibly more efficient with how we spend our money and where we spend it um, Ultimately, we might need the same amount of money or more to scale the business, but at least we'll still be in business to scale
0: yeah absolutely. And just finally, I mean, what about the investor perspective? I mean, you mentioned the board of directors. I mean just somebody who clearly um can when it comes to these projects, uh, I think it was like social entrepreneurs as well you know that actually say uh, we don't want a business plan. you know we what we want to see, and that they've really inculcated and taken on board the the lean values i mean how how well established are they in the investor community?
1: Well, uh, so the answer is when I first started, you know, zero, and, and now, at least in Silicon Valley, there's lip service to, you know, the lean startup. The problem is, and and I finally have realized it's the core of the problem, is investors by very definition are investors, meaning they're financial people. They have to be. Um, some of them might have been entrepreneurs, but, you know, a good chunk of them have, have their shiny MBA or financial degree. And. And in fact, are people comfortable with execution? Meaning, here's my spreadsheet, okay, here's the plan, number of things we'll do, or, you know, show me the numbers, when in fact you're trying to say, I'm still trying to discover the model, and and that makes them uncomfortable, uh, because most of them think they financed you for execution, when in fact, and, and by the way, if you're later enough, then maybe that is the case, you have an existing NGO or you have an existing social uh, enterprise that's fine you now know your model and that's great but you might be earlier on still searching and that just drives a lot of investors crazy um well let's get back to the plan well that's great <laughs> so now we can now we can execute a plan that you know I, I have to remind people that you know a plan for a startup is literally a series of unknowns um and And the only people to require five year plans on a series of unknowns were the old Soviet Union and venture capitalists um and and we know how well that worked out for the soviet union um,
0: <laughs> um and how how can people find out more about your work and ideas and and maybe uh take some courses or develop you know uh the, their insights in in what you're doing
1: number one is I have a website steveblank.com. Uh, there's a ton of resources there but the Startup Tools tab, just the the blog posts themselves. I put it on and there's another tab called Slides and Video. All the the video and slides I have there are all open sourced. There's a free course on Udacity uh, called the EP245, uh, uh, How to Build a Startup. Uh, That's free as well. You could learn about uh, all the uh, Business Model Canvas, Customer Development, Agile Engineering, um, all all in that uh, video series. Uh, and there are just uh, plenty of resources. Uh, the first book, uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany, and then the Startup Owners Manual, my second book, on actually how to build a startup step by step. Um, but I think um, you know, while that's all Steve stuff, I I think the internet is just chock full of uh, resources now, and almost every country and community around the world has a meetup and a startup community and a social enterprise community that you just ought to get involved and. and um, Start talking to other people who have done this
0: before. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a a, a great body of work, Steve. Very powerful ideas there. So thank you very much.
1: Great. Thank you. And thank you for your time.
0: Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.